Hello, I'm Greg. Let's have an inappropriate conversation about being harder core than thou. Or as I might have called it back in college, I was a punk before you were a punk. I was a punk before you were a punk. You don't believe me? Just step outside and see me, girl. Yeah, I was a punk before you were a punk. You want some action? I'll put your ass in back and back. I was a punk before you were. I was a punk before you. I was a punk before you were. Theme music and different drummer music today will come from clips of the band The Tubes. And I would not describe the band The Tubes as punk music, nor would I say they're an excellent example of being harder core than thou. However, since I like that turn of phrase, that notion of I was a punk before you were a punk, it seemed like a good time to do a rare substitution of the theme music for the show, because this episode is going to be all about playing music. 55, maybe more than 55, snips and tracks and clips of songs uh, that'll expose me somewhat as a DJ wannabe, perhaps. I rem- reminded me of an interview that was recently held on National Public Radio with Questlove of The Roots, where he was describing his childhood and his parents were a little bit concerned that he was the kind of kid you put him alone with a stack full of albums and a turntable or two, and that's all he'll do all day, that you literally don't have to force him to go outside. And from that, he gained sort of a wide variety and an encyclopedic knowledge of music. I wouldn't compare myself to Questlove to that degree at all. But in a certain sense, we're cut from the same cloth. My parents had a similar concern about me with music. And one of the things that I wanted to do today was talk a little bit about the potential that maybe people perceive me as being a little bit soft. In the last Inappropriate Conversation show, I talked a lot about the music of the Ink Spots. And I don't pull any punches. I've got a lot of their music. I listen to a lot of their music. And I based an entire show around the theme of a song that they recorded way back during World War II. And earlier than that, when I was talking about contemporary Christian music, I picked probably a, a softer artist in Chris Rice to hold up as a shining example of what that genre can do, as opposed to perhaps somebody with more edge, like DC Talk. But you know, lest anybody get the idea that I don't have this hard edge, a lot of the point of this show is going to be that I'm typically the person who is capable of playing the music that clears the room. I'm not a frustrated DJ in the sense that I would like to have a microphone in my hand and talk people through big events and, and have banter going on while tracks are playing and to be playing popular things, top 40, the latest, greatest hit, the soup of the day. No, that's not me. I'm more likely to be the person playing the song that clears the room instead. And we're going to get to a little bit of that during the course of this episode. A couple of things I want to get out of the way first, though. One is that you can hear inappropriate conversations on Stitcher Smart Radio, uh, www.stitcher.com. It's free. Download straight to your mobile device as well. And it's an excellent way to listen to podcasts on the go. The other thing is just a quick observation about an irony that's going on right now in some of the more conservative Republican-led legislatures in our country, and North Carolina in particular. North Carolina has embedded some of the strictest anti-abortion legislation we've seen in quite some time inside a law that was otherwise uh, being debated to pass about having an anti-Sharia rule in the state of North Carolina. Now, I've spoken about the naivete and perhaps the idiocy of these laws being passed to deal with an issue that's not an issue, to correct a problem that isn't in any way a threat to the citizens of North Carolina. So why would you even need to have 
a legislative session to deal with the question of whether Sharia law could be influencing the courts or the legislatures or the city councils in the state of North Carolina. It turns out, though, that it was a bit of a Trojan horse and that the legislation was essentially, regardless of its merits on its own steam, a place of sneaking in without a whole lot of debate, certainly without a lot of publicity, a whole lot of abortion restrictions. And to me, there's an irony here that we've got a group of people, and let's be honest, predominantly men, who are so afraid of women. And even when we're dealing with women, we're dealing with women who are so afraid of what it might mean if they actually were truly equal in our society. that They're so afraid of women that they've decided to pass what could be perceived as anti-woman or anti-equality legislation inside a bill that was written to protect the state of North Carolina from some of the harsher forms of Islam around the world. And one of the ways that we as Westerners measure the harshness of Islam is their attitude and their treatment of women. I mean, I'm hoping we see the irony here. I've hinted at this before in Inappropriate Conversations number 95, I believe, calling your shot, that these are people who are men in particular who are so afraid of women that they probably have deprived themselves, even within a monogamous marriage, of something as, you know, fundamental to an intimate marital relationship as orgasm. You've got to turn over some of your will and some of your power, the decision-making. You've got to trust a partner as an equal so fully and completely, unless all you're looking for is ejaculation. If all you're looking for is to treat your spouse like she's some sort of sex doll, where she has nothing to say, nothing to contribute, no role to play, or a very limited contribution to make, because you're going to decide when you're done, and you're going to decide when you're going to climax, so to speak. No, orgasm's a different animal. I talk about it in that previous episode, this idea of saying, no, 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 I'm going to surrender my will to this other person and let her take me where she would like to. I think that generally speaking, the same people who would pass this kind of legislation would be just as terrified of that as they would be the prospect that women may choose to control through contraception when they would like to entertain the idea of pregnancy or have the option of abortion if circumstances face them that are so dire that that sort of option is a better choice than being in an abusive relationship or carrying a rapist's baby to term or facing serious catastrophic health circumstances. These are things which did not enter into the minds of legislatures in Ohio and Texas so far, and North Carolina as they're dealing with these bills. But the one that strikes me as the most ironic is North Carolina embedding this specific, what you might call anti-woman language, into a bill that's supposed to prevent North Carolinans from falling victim to the anti-woman policies of Islam, among other things. So having noted that, probably a good time to point out that there is an explicit language tag on this episode. There's nothing I've said so far that's going to be as explicit as the lyrics of some of the songs I'm going to share. One of the things going for us is that some of those lyrics can't be understood by the normal human ear. You kind of have to have a real hardcore music taste and a hardcore decipherability on some of these lyrics to catch up to them. And that's what I want to do. I want to brush away for now the softness of things like the ink spots and you know certain elements of classical music. I'm not going to touch on jazz at all today, although my jazz is just as experimental as any things I'm going to share from musical genres like heavy metal, classical, industrial, hip-hop, punk, blues, but also just regular alternative rock, even regular classic rock. 
I'm going to take us through a tour of what I consider to be the hard side of that. The irony to me is that most of us think we have a breadth of musical taste, that we have a wide-ranging musical taste. And part of that is psychologically true. I mean, all of us have a musical taste that goes from one end of whatever our personal spectrum is all the way to the other. But sometimes I'll talk with people, and their wide-ranging musical taste takes them all the way from the band Boston to the band Kansas to the band Journey. And even though geographically they've made this stretch from Massachusetts to the middle part of America to San Francisco, there's not a lot musically different between Boston and Journey and Kansas. In fact, one of the posts that I put up, both through Facebook, Inappropriate Conversations as a Facebook page as a cause, and on Twitter, where I can be found at IC underscore Greg, I put a little cartoon up there that has sort of a little snip from The Wizard of Oz with Dorothy holding her dog, and it's a great pun. It makes excellent use of the words Kansas and Toto because she's saying, you know, I miss Kansas, Toto, but it's Kansas, Toto, and then down below it lists a bunch of other bands and also, you know, Survivor and Boston and Kansas and Styx and all those sort of groups. She misses those groups, and it turns it from a scene from The Wizard of Oz into a statement about, you know, classic rock of the you know, late 70s and early 80s. And the reality is that although a lot of those bands are represented somewhere in the eleven or 12,000 songs I carry around with me on my MP3 player at all times, that's only one end of the pool. I consider that all to be essentially the same thing. And for me, I'm much more attuned to music that's harder edged. So as I get us started today, let us start with a track that is going to be somewhat familiar. In fact, it was made famous by Olivia Newton-John. Here's have you never been mellow? Of course, that wasn't Have You Never Been Mellow by Olivia Newton-John. That was the re-recording of it, the interpretation of it by The Accused, a Seattle thrash metal band from before the era of grunge. Not my favorite song by The Accused. My favorite song by The Accused was called Pounding Nails Into the Lid of Your Coffin. And again, if you're asking yourself, how can this guy be equally a fan of the classic lineup of the Ink Spots and The Accused? Well, brace yourself. You're in for more. And to me, that's what I mean when I talk about having a wide-ranging musical style. I had a boss once when I was working in the record store. I was listening to The Accused in my office, not necessarily on the sales floor. And he asked me, why in the world I like that? And I said, well, you know, John, I'm in a bad mood today. And sometimes when I'm in this kind of a mood, when I feel like a lot has gone wrong and there's a lot that I'm unhappy with, it is nice to know that there's somebody somewhere in the world who is a lot more unhappy than I am. And the music of the accused is music for people who are, well, just that unhappy. The real point that I would make contrasting bands like Styx and REO Speedwagon and Boston and Journey with my musical taste is the group Scatterbrain. Scatterbrain and all of 
what uh, we might call the, the heavy metal of the last 15, 20 years, maybe even longer than that, represents best the attitude. There's a snark. There's a fun about them where they're essentially, in the song Down With The Ship, making fun of the tropes in the rest of the music. The chorus is, I'm not going down with the ship. I'm not going to be like everyone else. And the irony is, from a musical perspective, they're being exactly like everyone else, actually playing imitative, poking fun, poking in the eye sort of versions of classic riffs by people like Van Halen and ACDC and Metallica, and yes, even. <laughs> Okay, this is going to feel a little bit like frustrated DJ time. Then I need to string songs together. I can't do that a lot I'm, because they're only short snippets. I feel like I need to provide the rest of the story. But here's a, two or three songs in a row looking at things perhaps on the feminine perspective of this kind of hard metal. Starting us off with Cycle Sluts from Hell and I Wish You Were a Beer. Yeah. 
Okay, so following the Cycle Sluts from Hell, that was Jenna Torturers with Force Fed. It's uh, very much a fetish-related band, as you might imagine. And Life, Sex, and Death, their song, fucking shit-ass. One of the things I like about Life, Sex, and Death is that it's one of the albums, one of the few maybe, that is recorded in the Canes Ballroom of Tulsa, Oklahoma, as an historic site, at least for that part of the country. Next up, I want to take us in a slightly different direction, but still within metal, and go into the direction of grindcore. So maybe someone's been listening to these tracks so far and say, hey, you're not harder, you're not harder core than me. You may be harder core than lots of people, but you're not harder core than me. And I'm sure that's going to be true. There will always be something beyond where I'm happy. It's not a question of being comfortable, because I think I'm pretty comfortable everywhere. I'm pretty comfortable with the next couple of bands, in fact. One of them, I wish I had more music from their classic era than I do, as a matter of fact. This is from that era. It's a song by the group Carcass. It's called Exhume to Consume. And it will be followed by another track on that same record label by the band Old Lady Drivers. Their song, Colostomy Grab Bag. Again, one of the saving graces for your average listener is that it's really not very possible to decipher the lyrics from the Carcass song in particular, or really the Old Lady Driver's song as well. Trust me, they're offensive, but that's okay. They're designed to be offensive. They intend to be offensive. And when I talk about being able to play music that would clear a room, this is what I mean. This is 
These are CDs from artists that most people have a very low tolerance for. I'm just not one of those people who has a low tolerance for it. But likewise, I'm not a person who has a low tolerance for contemporary Christian music like Chris Rice either. The one thing that I think is a gap, and it's going to become evident as we work our way through this particular music-driven inappropriate conversation, is that I do not really have myself plugged in to the latest thing. So as new music is coming out, I'm no longer a quick adopter. For years, up until right around the year 2000, I was a quick adopter of new music because it was my job and I was exposed to almost all of it. But since switching jobs, and since that was no longer part of my job, there were some things that switched almost immediately for me. I no longer watch the Grammy Awards religiously. It's not a part of my job. And I also don't feel obliged to be up on the latest, greatest thing. New metal, for example. Not really my thing. In fact, most of the music that's come out by bands like Limp Biscuit or Corn, well, I could take it or leave it. I'm you know, partial to Rage Against the Machine to a certain degree, but the one I want to play from this particular idea of, well, new metal, or at least new metal from a decade or so ago, would be a British band called One Minute Silence. That was a more violent approach and a mixture, I think, a little bit between being able to make out the lyrics and not necessarily being able to make out the lyrics. I have this one on actual compact disc with a lyric sheet. I can't remember the last time I actually bothered to look at the lyrics. I like them for the contrast, and um, the clip I played didn't fully reveal the musical contrast they use, not just between songs, but even within songs. Sometimes hearing the lyrics, again, not necessarily an advantage, but there is a band that I wanted to share a little bit from today, where you can get a sense that you know, the lyrics can be, in fact, even in the, the hardest, crunchiest sounding metal, genuinely heartbreaking. And that's true of Saigon Kick and a song called My Dog. If you're somebody who gets triggered easily by songs of, of animals in pain or animals suffering, this is not the next 35 seconds for you. <laughs> The song My Dog does go on and on beyond that clip that I played. Uh, it's not the longest song, but it's got a great deal of suffering baked into it. And I think probably enough to kind of bring home the concept of what do I mean by harder core than thou? The last thing I want to play before I leave this metal segment, and I just kind of give a kind of a heads up that remember, if I was doing this at a party, if I was listening to music on my own steam, certainly when I listen to music on my MP3 player, 
I'm almost always on shuffle mode. I don't segregate the way I am intentionally in this show. And part of that segregation is to tell a clear linear story. But part of that segregation is because I know that most people can't handle the mixture. And I don't know what to say about that because I can. But the last thing I want to play in this particular hard, crunchy metal. So if, if the metal's too much for you, it's about to be over. We're about to segue, in fact, into classical music. And I'm going to do so with a instrumental track from a heavy metal band that views itself, I believe, somewhat as an improvisational jazz slash metal with an almost orchestral bent. It may not come out fully in the song I'm going to put out there. It's unmistakably heavy metal in terms of how you'd classify them or where, where you'd put them on the shelf in a store. The group is called Last Exit, and I've chosen them and the song because of just the humor of the title itself. I first heard about them through Simply Syndicated and a podcast called For Those About to Rock. They weren't featured on the show, but they were mentioned by one of the hosts of the show. The song is My Balls, Your Chin. Hi, this is Will Tristrummer for those about to rock, saying that if you like to listen to three guys break it down and talk about the seminal heavy metal albums of our time, go to simplesyndicated.com. You won't find it there, but you know, we try our best. So perhaps my harder core than thou credentials are already firmly in place and don't need to be reinforced further. But it's not just a style of music. You know, there's people who'd say, well, I just don't like heavy metal music. Well, I'm a fan of classical music that most people aren't a fan of either. In fact, the classical track that I want to veer off to now is by one of the most esteemed set of musicians in the North American continent today. It's Kronos Quartet, and a piece they performed that was composed by John Zorn. So you sort of had this rock and jazz composer putting music together for a classical quartet, and I first heard it live in concert. Um, Never hadn't been released on a CD yet. The CD that they were promoting had came out a few weeks after this part of the tour that I saw. And it's a track called Cat of Nine Tales, and it's subscript to something like Tex Avery meets the Marquis de Sade. The idea of it is this mixture between very experimental, abrasive classical music being interlaced with what can only be called cartoon theme songs. It's more than an eight and a half minute track of this kind of interplay, and there's no way a single clip can capture it all. Let's see how well the clip I've chosen does. Kronos Quartet with Cat of Nine Tales, available on their CD short stories. But just because you you could discount that track and say, well, you know, that's cutting edge, that's avant-garde. What about standard classical music? Is there standard classical music that you would feel is on some level hardcore or extreme? 
And the answer to that question is yes. I mentioned it when I was talking about violinist Maxim Vengerov as a different drummer in Appropriate Conversations 101, speaking vaguely of authorial intent. But in this case, I'd like to do the same piece. It's, uh, it's Wieniawski as the composer, Polonaise in D, and Itzhak Perlman's performance of that particular cut. And I think if you listen to it, it's one of the classical songs that I love most that my wife likes least because the violin is, uh, in her mind, maybe a little bit screechy. He goes from one extreme to the other in terms of using both bowing techniques and picking techniques from uh, change in tempo and literally all over the scale from high to low. And when I listen to it, I just, I'm in awe. Much like I am on some of those heavy metal recordings where I know that there's never a chance I would ever be able to play electric guitar that way. Well, there's never a chance I'd be able to play violin this way either. Here's Perlman performing Wieniawski. Rock and roll music, including classic rock and roll music, also has had at times a classical element to it. I want to play just a couple of bands that I think represent that as well as anything. One is Curved Air, where they have a violin player who's part of the group. And really, for the early part of their career anyway, every album featured some interpretation of classical music, and in this case specifically, interpretations of Vivaldi. It reminds me a little bit of some of the work that Scatterbrain did on instrumental tracks on their first two albums where they were bringing in Mozart and just basically playing Mozart in a speed metal format. These are the first albums Scatterbrain did after they changed their band name from Ludacrist and reorganized themselves. But no, I want to play Curved Air's Ultra Vivaldi. <laughs> The second track in that set of clips was Doctors of Madness and the song Out, subscript Mitzi's Cure. 
Now, Doctors of Madness, also a band with violin as one of the key instruments to the group, but they approach it less from what we might call a classic rock or even a flower power rock approach and more of a glam rock approach. I remember picking up the self-titled American release of the Doctors of Madness uh, albums. Literally, it was two albums back-to-back repackaged for the United States as a two-record set in the dollar bin. And it's one of those great moments of being in a used record store and finding something that no one else wanted that was perfect for me. Because, you know, in addition to being more than just a little bit glam, they also were concept rockers, uh, unafraid to put out 10, 12, 15 minute songs that tell an elaborate story, usually a story with a good deal of mournful or even aggressive violin to them. And the rock side of things, one of the artists that I've found recently, who is a recent artist, I haven't seen anything from her since the album that I've got. Uh, her name is Krista. And the first track I heard was this particular track, the unedited version of Temporary Insanity. Put to the test and find you up in my face again. Uh, down on the ground, this time I won't play around. This rage feeds off the sound of me breaking you down. So I breathe in, breathe out. One, two, three. Then I'm at it again. You people don't love me. Was only envy you seek. You hooked your claws in me. Would we classify Krista as pop, rock, not hip-hop, despite the fact that there's a sort of a rap or a spoken element to her work? And I don't know what it is that I like about it. I might dislike the song had I not heard it in the right time and in the right place with the right response. But it's the kind of track that I know that probably going all the way back to high school, I would have wanted to have heard on the radio and would know that I couldn't hear it on the radio unless it was bleeped out or cleaned up. And there is a cleaned-up version of Temporary Insanity that is probably out on YouTube, if nowhere else. The last thing I want to do in in what I would call sort of a classic um, rock sort of genre is a band called The Uninvited. And if inappropriate conversations is about nothing else, it's about where concepts of religion and politics and popular culture meet. And this particular show is going to have a lot to do with popular culture, a lot to do with music. But there's a religion element to some of these things, and and even uh, an element that flirts with blasphemy. The uninvited flirts with blasphemy in a playful, and in my mind, genuine way.
That was Box of Nails and What God Said from The Uninvited, a 1997-1998 era self-titled album by the band, followed by Severed Heads and Brazier in Rome from their album Since the Accident. I've tried to make a segue here from rock into what I'm going to call industrial, but it's tricky because at least the first couple bands I've played, Severed Heads a moment ago, and Butthole Surfers next, might not truly qualify in the strictest sense as being industrial rock. But this song that I want to play is indeed just that. It, it's got that industrial wall of sound going to it with distorted, and in this case, disturbing lyrics. The song Jimmy from Hairway to Steven. <laughs> In situations where it was necessary for me to work late in the stores, by myself, trying to get something done, whether it be a pre-inventory checks or uh, an elaborate assortment change or a catalog update, I would often listen to this industrial or industrial-slash-alternative type rock. It was driving. It would keep you focused. Uh, it was energetic. You didn't have to necessarily worry about getting distracted by lyrics because even if you knew them, they were in many cases sort of buried beneath the wall of sound. But one exception to that was Hairway to Steven by Butthole Surfers, where many of the songs that I'd heard before on other recordings I didn't find to be distracting or, or in any way a problem. This track, Jimmy, I can recall taking the CD out and just switching gears entirely, maybe moving over to jazz, because the distorted little girl voice is what I call it, uh, sounding as if there's some sort of violence or abuse going on, was more disturbing than I was prepared to listen to, frankly, anywhere, and certainly more disturbing than I ever wanted to listen to alone in a store at night. Well, butthole surfers don't qualify necessarily as a pure industrial sound. The next one certainly does, especially early in their career. Einsterzenda Nubaten with Schmerzen Horen, translated roughly as Here with Pain. Herbert Schmerzen! 
I followed that Einsters in a New Botten track with Happy Flowers. I said I want to watch cartoons. And it's a really good example of how the contrast is between one group using metallic uh, engine type sounds and the sound really driving it and the vocals essentially being yelling the title track a lot. Where in Happy Flowers, it's always seemed to me throughout their music that the lyric was what was really driving things. And it was the lyric over some distorted rock as a background. In this case, you know, Happy Flowers is creating a wall of sound. It's one of the more industrial sounding tracks that they had. I thought about putting them over in alternative and picking a different track. Like uh, if this gun were real, I could shoot you and sleep in the big bed with mommy. But this one seemed to be more to the point. And I, this is really my favorite Happy Flowers song. If you can call music that sounds like that favorite in any way whatsoever. We can talk about things like um, the German band, whose name roughly translates into collapsing new buildings as being noise, or certainly uh, happy flowers. I'm quite certain anybody who's ever had a child of that age would call, I said I want to watch cartoons, noise. But I think we've got to be very careful about our terminology. The next band I'd like to play is a, from an album that I picked up digitally for a dollar. The main track, title track, is you know, more than an hour long, or roughly an hour long. And the entire hour sounds just like this. I'd be inclined to argue with anybody who wanted to describe Einstrasenda Neubaten as quote-unquote just noise. I wouldn't argue with people who said the same thing about Mersbo, especially based on this one track, Electric Salad. It's not an hour that I tend to make it all the way to the end of, and I usually don't have that much trouble making to the end of things like Metal Machine Music by Lou Reed or Ark by Neil Young. I mentioned on Twitter as I was preparing for this that I was really struggling trying to find the one track from Nurse with Wound, off their album, Chance Meeting on a Dissecting Table of a Sewing Machine and an Umbrella. Just trying to find 25, 30 seconds that would represent the album at all was virtually impossible. I ended up picking a segment from the longest track, Blank Capsules of Embroidered Cellophane.
if you're struggling to get through the industrial segment of this harder core than thou <laughs> show, it's almost over. The last one I want to play, truly an alternative band, but industrial rock all the same, uh, from the artist Jim Thurwell, known as Fetus, from an album he recorded under the band name Scraping Fetus Off the Wheel, and really probably the most famous track under that particular band name, I'll Meet You in Poland, Baby. Now, brazenly political work is perhaps more common in rap than it is in industrial rock. A lot of industrial rock, in fact, is instrumental or unintelligible, but it's pretty easy to make out exactly what's going on in the mind of, say, Ice-T at the very track he wrote that was even before the official formation of the band Body Count. It's the song, Body Count, from his album OG, The Original Gangster. Except for a while, cause if you're black you get life, but if you're white you're on trial, ain't nothing to it. Just like that chump Charles Stewart, they're always claiming that the devil made me do it for insurance. He killed his wife and his child and blamed it on a brother, and racist got fucked wild. He had the media believing the Esau fable. And all the whites were like, I can't wait till they catch the bastard. I hope they fry him, they were sure that he did it. There was no need to try him and Willie Bennett. Who was in it to win it got fast and harassed cause they were sure that he did it. And the thing that really pissed me off and truly offended me is the suckers wanted to reinstate the death penalty for a brother man, but not the other man. And when they found out he killed to himself, who on the other hand, now it's inhumane. Bring it back, they wouldn't dare. But his brother confessed he was with it, so give him the chair. But that won't happen with that punk cockiest. Flynn and Mickey Roach, you better just watch for us. I don't want to hear that you're sorry to me. After you tore up and started a war up in the black community, it's out of the news, but it's still in my head. Charles Stewart still lives, even though the sucker's dead. I'm a speaker for him. He is trying to wipe you out. Trying to eliminate your total existence with falsehood and lies. And he's succeeding in doing it. Now when you're fucking with me, make sure you know what you're doing. That nigga that know they're rolling with me. And for 
I followed up Ice-T's political diatribe with a couple of other politically oriented rap songs. Ed O.G. and the Bulldogs was Speak Upon It, a song written in the very late 1980s in Boston, dealing with political intrigue going on in the city at the time that a man had shot his wife, a wealthy white man had shot his wife, and blamed a non-existent black suspect for the crime. And most recently there, Bone Thugs and Harmony, with my favorite song by them of all time, both musically, really musically more than lyrically, Body Rot. I say musically more than lyrically for Bone, but it's even more true for the next group I want to play, Cypress Hill. My opinion is, despite the violence of the lyrics and the gang-oriented tone of the song itself, Cock the Hammer has my favorite musical track in all of hip-hop, certainly my favorite bass track in all of hip-hop. As my crew comes pounding, as the captain, Afro-America, cold out of cat and with the locked out Latin busted. Yo, I'm red red with the musket, better duck quick, cause you might get dusted. You get looks rusted, disgusted, oh, look away, look away, boy, as I rush it. Yes, I know that you can't withstand it. Watch that ass, cause punk all branded. With the steel toe, how you feel though? When my boots stuck in that ass like a dildo. Try on a pillow, we bring that swell up the hill. Still for the static like Brillo mm, What you talking about Punk give me room As I light up the boom Cock the hammer Wave the white banner Ever heard a clock Go click like a camera Cock the hammer Cock the hammer It's time for action Cock the hammer Cock the hammer It's time for action Cock the hammer Yes the hammer Cock the hammer It's time for action Okay, so if that's the rap segment of this, I'm still going to stay in, in hip-hop as a genre. And I want to go next to something that's a little bit more pop-oriented, although I think TLC always did a good job of bringing in elements of R&B, dance, and rap. This is a track they only released on the soundtrack to the movie Waiting to Exhale. It's called This Is How It Works. In fact, it's the song that got that soundtrack its explicit language sticker. <laughs> Take your time, make it grow. 
And if you can imagine that uh, TLC would have gotten an explicit language sticker for This Is How It Works, the second track in that series was Little Jackie and the song Cockblock from their second Little Jackie album. I didn't really know where to put this side project from Imani Coppola. Imani Coppola is a previous different drummer. And at the time I recorded that, I don't know that I was as familiar with Little Jackie as I should have been. My goal, actually, after recording that different drummer segment was to go out and pick up what maybe at the time I thought was one of those albums. They're both available. This from the second of the two, and by far my favorite track under the Little Jackie banner. Um, but what do you call her? I mean, she plays violin on her solo albums, in addition to singing and sampling. And so I thought, well, you know, this is supposed to be sort of a, you know, a Brooklyn, New York, uh, sitting out on the stoop kind of a sound. So even if it doesn't fit squarely in what we might call a hip hop vibe, it qualifies. It reminds me enough of TLC, in fact, to put the two back to back together. Next up is a different sort of vein. It's a modern artist. Uh, recording albums even as recently as a couple years ago. In fact, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings should have an album coming out in the month of August this year. It's on my short list of albums that I want to get as soon as they get released. I say I don't keep up with everything happening in new music, but that doesn't mean I don't pick up new music by artists that I'm interested in. And Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings are certainly in that vein, although as you listen to them, and this particular track, She Ain't a Child No More, from her album I Learned the Hard Way, it's as much a throwback to James Brown as anything else. Poor little girl, she had to grow up quick. She ain't a child no more. Her heart's still soft, but her skin got thick. She ain't a child no more. How could a mother be so reckless and wild? Put your kid through such torture and trial. You can only have the love of your child. She ain't a child no more. And finally, a group that I'm going to put into this rap section that I'm doing because I don't know where to put them. Part of the reason I don't like categorizing music and I prefer shuffling my sounds is because there's bands like Javelin that I just don't know where to put. Are they hip-hop artists? Are they rap artists? Are they electronica? Are they alternative rock? What are they? I don't know. I'm not sure you'll know after hearing this snip that I want to play from the song. Except to say that the uh, there's explicit language that would be in it if it weren't bleeped out. It was bleeped out by the band. It's actually bleeped out even on the on the official CD release. And the thing I like the best about it is its use of an 8-bit vibe. That 8-bit video game sound is uh, dominant in this particular track, and it really works, despite the fact that the lyrics are truly in every conceivable way, rapped and not sung. Like a concubine, but your love is really 
Okay, but I've called this inappropriate conversation show. This one, harder core than that, with the notion that I was a punk before you were a punk. So it's about time we got into some punk. And to me, one of the greatest anthems in punk history begins with a spoken word intro. Not unlike some of the things you might hear in hip-hop, where there's a lot of crossover between singing and speaking and rapping and toasting. Here's Black Flag and the song Six Pack from the album version on the album Damaged. I got a six pack and nothing to do. I got a six pack and I don't need you. The voice you hear in that track is Henry Rollins, and Henry Rollins is our different drummer. I'm screwing in nice little kitchen lights because this fucking woman wants little lights over the sink. I'm going, you don't need a fucking light. There's a light up in the ceiling. Just put it in. I'm like, ah! I'm like, no, 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 not domesticide, no! So how to get through this shit? You fucking whip out the Sabbath and the girlfriend disappears. Now, rejection, and I don't mean to throw you off, rejection, everyone in this fucking room has been rejected from a person that they wanted to be with. Whatever your circumstance was, every single person in here has some fucked, heart-rending story about how you were like the guy or the girl in love with the other guy or girl or rock or goat or tree or, or you know. You've been stone-cold rejected before. Do you remember how that hurt? I was thinking the ultimate rejection song I could ever think of is, is Iron Man. You don't, there's no wonder why the woman comes home and finds her man with another woman, takes out the family gun and shoots both of them. Because rejection fucking hurts, you know. In the song Iron Man, not only does Iron Man reject the people who he once helped, he kills them all. He destroys all of them. Imagine, see, uh, Iron Man turned to steel in the great magnetic field. I don't know where that is. But think about Iron Man getting arrested. You know, he just, he just got finished, like, incinerating Bakersfield. And he's walking back to L.A. going, damn, those, they fucking rejected me. Now I had my revenge. Because he was stomping him with his heavy boots of lead. He's fucking just killed everyone now. And so he's walking back to L.A. going, fuck these people, man. People suck. I should never even have fucking helped him in the first place. Fucking turn on me, motherfuckers. So the black and white pulls up. It's a sheriff. Hey there, buddy. We've got to take you in and ask you some questions. Okay, he gets in the seat. They take him to the police station. Name? I am... Oh, get off it. All right, I'm Iron Man. <laughs> Look, uh, you uh, filled a lot of people full of dread back there. Yeah, well, I got these boots of lead on. So... I don't know. So what, what's the matter? I've, I, you know, I, I tried to help these people by, you know, traveling time and it's fucking rejected me. You know, they just passed me by and I just, I fucking uh, killed the people I once saved. And, I'm sorry.
different drummer music today is the drum solo track from the Tubes live album, What Do You Want From Live, uh, released somewhere in the 70s, <laughs> late 70s perhaps, and also featuring I Was a Punk Before You Were a Punk. Truthfully, from that Tubes album, my favorite track is the Crime Medley, where they roll through a lot of famous TV theme songs and just kind of create a medley out of familiar, familiar sounds. Henry Rollins is described on Wikipedia. Frankly, I find it to be a wanting, an inadequate Wikipedia entry, having reviewed it a few times in the past week to get ready for this show. But we'll start with their summation. He is an American musician, writer, journalist, publisher, actor, radio host, comedian, and activist. He is now hosting a regular radio show and doing speaking tours. Now, this part is pretty accurate, and a consistent theme, I think, for a lot of our different drummers is that they tend to be people who are beyond categorization because they are functioning in more than one discipline. Now, let me grant right up front that I would certainly understand someone who's not a fan of Black Flag. You hear from time to time people who preferred Black Flag before they actually began releasing full-length albums. I only really knew the Black Flag of Henry Rollins, and I liked Black Flag a lot. One of the things I liked most about them, in fact not mentioned at all in the Wikipedia entry, is the album they put out called Family Man. It's essentially half spoken word and poetry by Henry Rollins and half instrumental dirge, almost you know flipper-like music. We'll get to flipper in a minute. As Greg Ginn, the lead guitarist and the primary perhaps musical influence in the band, was trying to steer them in a new direction where they didn't have to be the same faster, louder, three chords in a trail of dust punk music that they started out as, and that a lot of other bands, you know, kind of still sounded like. So Family Man, a, a pivotal track where they were making that turn and literally made the turn on two different sides of the coin that was that particular vinyl disc, Family Man. Now, the main reason that I want to cite Henry Rollins is going to start with a big disclaimer. I would understand if anyone, you know, didn't like him, if they found him to be not their cup of tea. As a spoken word artist, he may not have the same cachet that for some maybe a Jello Biafra of Dead Kennedys would, or somebody more scholarly, you know, like a, an Allen Ginsberg or a Noam Chomsky might. Or he's also a bodybuilder and clearly has, has a weightlifter's physique, and that might put some people off. Although if you look at his politics, he's as far away from the dumb jock bully as you could possibly get. He's, you know, consistently critical of the powers that be, which means that he isn't just, you know, railing from the left against the right. He does speak his mind on both sides of the political spectrum and tends to be extremely rational when he does. A far more great, a higher degree of rationality than you'd expect from somebody whose, you know, maybe first track on an album was him wailing about spray painting the wall, you know. So you look at the Black Flag era, you look at the crunchy hardcore metal sound of the Rollins Band era, and the spoken word stuff, and it seems a little bit incongruous. And so you can understand somebody just rejecting that as just cacophony, a, a life noisily led. But there's nothing wrong with a different drummer having led a noisy life. And the best thing for me about Rollins, and the reason that I want to cite him above all other things, is, yeah, I don't think he and I would be too far off each other in terms of being on the same page on many of these political issues. But it's not that. It's his influence as really a record label producer. And I want to jump over to a quick snip from a biographical segment on Amazon.com, a list created there by somebody named B. Parker, BCS Parker. The list author says this, Okay, you know Henry Rollins? 
even though I've been a longtime fan of his, I didn't know that he had a record label in the 1990s with Rick Rubin called Infinite Zero. It was around for a few years before it dissolved when Rubin was dropped from American Recordings. Actually, what happened was Rubin pulled American Recordings out of the umbrella and influence of Warner Electra Atlantic. But the rights to the Infinite Zero category didn't move with American, even though they had a, a relationship, a tie-in with each other. It stayed with Warner. And at that point, all the tracks went out of print. That's kind of really what went down. But it was the influence of Rollins, having a lot to say about which music was put on that reissue. They were essentially archivists going back in to key moments in music history and reissuing, sometimes fully intact, sometimes with bonus tracks, some of the key artists and key albums in rock and roll history and even earlier than rock and roll history. Some of the artists, just to kind of you know run through a list, Gang of Four, Trouble Funk, Iceberg Slim, The Gun Club, James Chance, Flipper, the Monks, Fred McDowell, and Devo. By far from a catalog perspective, the biggest influence is Devo. There are more Devo reissues in this list that I'm seeing. Uh, Infinite Zero was probably responsible for the resurgence of the album Duty Now for the Future, and that's how I noticed that. It's a good Devo album. New Traditionalist might be the one that I've got the softest spot for. That's also one of these Infinite Zero reissues. But I want to speak specifically about three. Black Monk Time by The Monks. It's an album from the mid-60s. It sounds in many ways like a 1960s recording. But if you stop for a second, step back, and put it in the context of even what the Beatles were doing at the time, and certainly what other bands like the Dave Clark Five and you know the Beach Boys and Mamas and the Papas might have been doing even later than this recording, it sounds like it doesn't fit in at all. The Monks were an influence on groups like The Fall, and frankly, the monks would have fit in if they'd come out when the fall did in 1978 or later. It was that ahead of its time and went out of print almost as soon as it came out because it wasn't finding an audience. It was in the wrong place at the wrong time to have done that. Flipper is another band coming out in San Francisco after punk was over. So essentially, in every way, to me, when I think of post-punk, one of the first things I think of is the band Flipper. Instead of playing that fast and loud, simple three-chord approach, Flipper was playing songs that were often slow, dirge-like in their nature, with strange and sporadic lyrics. And what Rollins did with the Infinite Zero label was put out a collection from them called Sex Bomb Baby. It did pull album cuts from their first, you know, perhaps infamous generic album, which is also on this list of Infinite Zero reissues. I'm not 100% sure I ever saw it as an Infinite Zero reissue. But also pulling things that had just really been released only as 45s or on samplers. Songs like Ha Ha Ha, for example, would have been non-album cuts by Flipper. And to me, that's an incredible value. And if you haven't heard of Flipper, well, it's not because Infinite Zero as a record label didn't try. The other one from the era of Go-Go Rock was Trouble Funk. And to me, the restoration of Trouble Funk is, again, one of these huge, seminal moments in history. The main thing that Infinite Zero did was put out the two-record set, four-part Trouble Funk Live. This is what Go-Go Funk would have sounded like in a Washington, D.C. club. A streamless, endless, sort of musical, danceable display of virtuosity, where songs are evident, melodies morph into the stream of consciousness in the music style and lyrics are sung or shouted or chanted but it doesn't start and stop it's not like here's the song let's 
let's hit that finishing note, bow and collect some applause. No, the party never stopped with bands like Trouble Funk. And I never would have heard Trouble Funk if it weren't for Infinite Zero Records. And I'm not persuaded that Rick Rubin by himself would have gone through the trouble to do these reissues if it hadn't been for the partnership and the influence of this week's different drummer, a true rock archivist, in the midst of anything else you might say about him, Henry Rollins. One of my favorite compilations in punk rock history was by Alternative Tentacles Records, a one-disc vinyl with various artists on it, including Flipper's Ha Ha Ha. What I want to play from that album instead of Flipper, though, are The Circle Jerks, Dead Kennedys, and Jesus X. Of those three, the one I want to note is the first one I played. This is a song that was recorded in the very early 80s, perhaps even the late 1970s, talking about the political influence that is you know, shadowing over our military and leading us to do things militarily that perhaps we as voters would not agree to. But how, how much foresight was involved in the circle jerks? Seeing something, and call it 1981, that is more true now in 2012, 2013 than it even was then. It's not Vietnam. It's another oil company scam. It's Afghanistan. The Pollyanna Cowgirl Records Podcast. Podcast. So it's like someone saying I love you to you once a week. Tony Pucci specifically. Tony Pucci specifically. Hi, this is Tony Pucci of the Pollyanna Cowgirl Records Podcast. I'd like to invite you to join me each week as I play one hour of pod-safe pop and rock music. You can find the show at pollyannacowgirl.com or at the host podcast network site, simplysyndicated.com. Peace and love. Next up, 
what many of us consider to be a Christmas song. In fact, I don't let a Christmas collection uh, that I put together on a playlist go by without including at least one version of The Vandals, Oi to the World. So there's punk mixed with Christmas. We think of punk music primarily as being either a New York thing or a Southern California thing. I started us off with uh, with Black Flag featuring Henry Rollins. He had moved from Washington, D.C. to the West Coast to be part of Black Flag. Washington, D.C. had a scene as well with bands like Bad Brains and Minor Threat. But the one I want to play next is actually from the heart of the country, I believe, starting in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a group called Los Reactors. And their, you know, to me, what was their big single? Dead in the Suburbs, roughly followed up Los Reactors with perhaps the single most political band I'm going to play from anybody today. Now, if you thought the political content or the political protest content was high in groups like Bone Thugs and Harmony or Ed O.G. and the Bulldogs, uh, I've given you what I consider to be a, a light track, an easy listening track almost, from Crass with Shaved Women. Crass is one of those bands I wouldn't listen to without the lyric sheet handy because they've got a lot to say. And they're more interested in the message than they are in the method of delivering that message. One of the things that Crass would get the most uptight about would be misogyny and lyrics. That was really the theme and the message behind shaved women is the way women are treated, the way women are pressured into acting. So if that's a positive message, maybe delivered harshly and cacophonously and angrily, it's an antidote, for want of a better word, to the next group I'm going to play. 
the weasels, bringing the misogyny into this sort of punk and hardcore sound with a track called Beat Her With a Rake. We went to the bar without a gin But when I turned around She was at it again Giving head in the corner To my best friend Now, honey, I can't take it Yeah, this is your For the record, I do not endorse the attitudes or the words of the uh, band The Weasels and their song Beat Her With a Rake. In fact, I'm sympathetic and perhaps even supportive of a women's group who broke into radio station KROQ in Los Angeles to stop them from playing the single by going in and taking and destroying their digital audio tape and their vinyl 45. (laughs) Um, You can understand why they might feel that way. Although, misogyny is not limited to punk rock or even parts of heavy metal. It goes back as far as the Mississippi Delta. And as I shift gears a little bit, I'm going to shift gears strongly and harshly musically to take you all the way from a Delta blues style, from where we were with that proto-punk. But thematically, it's not that different. Perhaps my favorite misogynistic blues track, and I'm not saying you have to have a favorite piece of misogyny, but in the blues, my favorite one is by Louisiana Red and a track called Sweet Blood Call. I have a hard time missing you, baby With my pistol in your mouth Mm, Have a hard time missing you, baby With my pistol in your mouth Thinking about going off, but your brains are staying south. I resist the urge to divide blues musicians into camps. Um, You can do it musically, I suppose, where there's a Delta style versus a Chicago style. But I also don't like the idea of doing it based on the artists and their lyrical content either. I think that somebody like Robert Johnson represents a pretty big range of topics that he's willing to address. And if I were to identify Mississippi John Hurt as one of my favorite blues musicians, you might think, well, he's not going to have any role to play here in sort of a, a hardcore music segue. Well, he is actually, again though he's probably singing more religious songs than any blues musician that I own CDs of today. He also has this one called Nobody's Dirty Business. Some of these mornings gonna wake up crazy, gonna grab my gun, kill my baby. Nobody's business but mine. Ain't nobody's doggone business how my baby treat me. Nobody's business but my own. Okay, I've mentioned Flipper a couple of times, partly from the perspective of uh, 
the Infinite Zero record label. But here I'm going to do it from the perspective of where their version of alternative rock or post-punk rock meets the blues. And a track from a two-record-set live album called Public Flipper Limited, an intentional swipe at the group Public Image Limited from England, and a track called Flipper Blues, and I'm mainly going to pick it up for the stadium gesture. What does he say to the crowd in between songs? Does anybody want to see my left testicle? Want to see it? Look. Pretty good, huh? That's, that's the only part of my organ I've got left. that up with Violent Femmes, Girl Trouble, the version from their Why Do Birds Sing CD, and another example of a blues-influenced alternative-type rock, in this case, alternative folk rock. Next up, The Residents. They're a different drummer from a previous Inappropriate Conversation. I won't introduce them further, just going to play a couple of segments from two songs and give you a sense of why they're considered to be uh, difficult music perhaps even harder than most people want to hear. She said she wished to die in terror, screaming in the night. Feel the crawling flesh of panic as her hair turned white. She also had a That was Die in Terror, 
live in concert, also followed by another live performance, this time of Golden Goat, a song actually written and recorded originally by Snakefinger. Alternative rock has its political edge as well, and when I was listening to music, the next couple of tracks, maybe the next three tracks I'm going to play, I would have heard at around the same time. I want to start with the most political, the three, Christian Lunch, The Joke's On You. The Joke's On You single by Christian Lunch was followed by Deaf School, Don't Stop the World, title track from their second album, an album recorded somewhere around 1976 to give you a sense of, of how old this particular version of what I'm going to call alternative rock is, a group that uses a lot of what we might consider today to be acoustic instruments in retrospect. I mean, they had electric guitar and electric piano, but they're also using saxophone and violin and other instrumentation to make, in this one example, what's a pretty loud wall of sound culminating with the end of the song and the end of the world in the track title track to Don't Stop the World. That followed up with a song I don't even know what to do with, <laughs> The Fall, from Live at the Witch Trials, their first album, first album I heard by them, and the first song off that album that I listened to. It wasn't the first song on the album, but I was intrigued by a track called Crap Rap 2 slash I Like to Blow. I'm still 
intrigued by what they mean by that. When alternative rock goes explicit, and particularly both explicit and misogynistic at the same time, we got to remember that it does so with a really strong sense of humor. John S. Hall, the lead singer and principal songwriter, lyric writer of King Missile, has been mentioned in a previous segment as a different drummer. So I want to start with him and a track by King Missile called Double Fucked by Two Black Studs. I was at Sophie's bar on 5th Street off A. This woman was trying to impress me or something. She told me she had done it all sexually. She had heard it all, she had seen it all, and she had done it all sexually. She said she was jaded. So I asked her if she had ever been double fucked by two black studs. And she didn't tell me. She just got up and left. So I figured she probably hadn't. Guadalcanal Diary saw them live in concert and in that concert they did perform the track Cattle Prod and these are lyrics that if you wrote them down and stuck them on your wall would be extremely disturbing I can only tell you that live in concert the humor was there their tongue was firmly in cheek as you might say now the nice thing about especially music of the last 20 or 30 years in rock and roll is that it isn't gender biased at least not exclusively. There are voices out there that are offering a completely different perspective. So if we consider there to be a great deal of misogyny in tracks like the King Missile song I played, it is balanced to a certain degree on actually on the exact same record label with a different group called Bongwater and a song called The Power of Pussy. And in case you're curious from the rest of the song, she sings the lyrics as if the actual power being described is, I don't have to do it till I want. I don't have to do it till I want. I used to be so afraid of sex. I used to be afraid, so afraid. I didn't understand the sexual tension that was between me and so many men, so many men. So I just sleep with everyone, with everyone, because I had to get rid of that sexual tension. I didn't understand. But the thing is, I never had an orgasm. No, I never got a bingo. No, not one, not one, no. Not with another human. With a pillow, sure, plenty of times. With stuffed animals, yeah, but not with a boy. 
second track in that series was Fetchin' Bones, a group from Georgia, part of the Athens, Georgia movement, including groups like Guadalcanal Diary, R.E.M., and Indigo Girls. The track from them was Love Crushin' from their album Monster. Just based on the inclusion of songs alone, this is going to be a long, inappropriate conversation segment. Again, if I'd done it the way I normally would do it for friends coming over for you know, an evening, I'd be playing the entire songs, not just portions of them. I'd be shuffling them up and mixing them and switching genres often, and it would be something like a four-hour event. In this case, I've gotten a, you know, it's more than an hour, but it's nowhere near four hours, and I want to end with something fun and international and playing a track that I still consider part of alternative rock, partly because Kurt Cobain of Nirvana also considered them well and firmly part of alternative rock. This is Shonen Knife, and a track called Twist Barbie. So as I wrap this up with a piece of very poppy sensibility from Japan in Shonen Knife, you might ask yourself, well, what in the world does that last group have to do with being harder core than now? It's not just that hardcore has to be loud or angry or lyrically offensive. There's nothing inherently lyrically offensive about, you know, a Barbie dancing or a song about wishing that there was a live Barbie. It's just that this is music that most people would not have in their collection. It's music that the top 40 sensibility has no idea what to do with. It can be a party starter. It could just as well be a party ender. If you'd like to put some dialogue into this inappropriate conversation yourself, I can be reached at IC underscore Greg at Hotmail.com. And show notes are enabled at the website www.inappropriateconversations.org. I'd like to trail us out today before playing any final theme music with a little bit of trouble funk, just to give you a sense of what it was that Henry Rollins, the different drummer, was trying to preserve for all time through the American Recordings tie-in with Infinite Zero Records. That'll be followed by some quick advertising and letting the tubes lead us out the same way they let us in. Thanks for listening.
Hi everybody, Rich here. You know, one of the best things about Simply Syndicated is the great community of listeners we've got and all of the things you guys do to help us out. Something you could do that helps us spread the word about our shows is to let people know that you're listening on Facebook and Twitter. All our episodes have sharing buttons on them so you can tell your friends about us with just a few clicks of the mouse. Just visit our website at simplysyndicated.com and click the sharing buttons to help spread the word. Some action, I'll put your ass at the 